When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and related to the lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, or SheCup. And we are here today joined by a very special guest, Psych88 from the MCU Lorecast and Mass Effect Blue Shift Podca- Podcast. Yeah, that's its name. <laughs> yes, uh, and thank you guys for having me. I've been looking forward to this for since Shelby sent me the message, hey, do you want to be on one of the episodes in the following season? Yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited for this topic. I know that it's been um, long awaited by a lot of people. I'm hoping and praying and lighting candles and incense that Austin doesn't scare all of our listeners off with his hot takes for the evening. Um, But it's going to be fun. And we're just going to jump right in if that's okay, Austin. Yeah. And I just want to say to me, they're very lukewarm takes. To you, they are lukewarm takes. And I'm 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 not annoyed. I'm a little annoyed. Uh I feel like I'm gonna be defending Anders, because that's who we're talking about. I feel like I'm gonna be defending him in this episode, which I'm frustrated by, but um we'll make it work. So we always start off with fun facts. There's ironically not a lot of fun facts about Anders. Um, so we'll just deal with it. So my first fun fact is that Anders has two different writers. He was written by David Gator in Awakening and Jennifer Hepler in Dragon Age 2. This may explain some of the personality differences between the two games. I like to think it's it's intentional and is an effect of him like merging with justice, the personality shift. That's my opinion. Uh, you can take a different one if you want to, but that's what I think. And then my second fun fact is that in Awakening, you can find a wanted list with Anders' name on it next to a Templar corpse, which pretty classic and then my last fun fact third and final one is that all of the spirit healer companions that we have are possessed when and anders 
that is an interesting um, coincidence. Uh, and maybe it wouldn't have been so much of a coincidence if they had kept the spirit healer tree in, uh, in Inquisition. True, but also if 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 they had kept the spirit healer tree in inquisition it it it's most it's closest specialization i think would be rift magic and um well solus is that mage and he also has an affinity for spirits so i mean but he's yeah. not possessed no, and that's like i feel like that's the distinction that's fair that is fair as far as we know <laughs> True. <Not> I <laughs> disagree with you. I don't think it would be Rift Mage. What do you think it would be? Well, Rift Mage is much closer to Force Mage than anything else. And I actually think the closest one is Night Enchanter. I agree with that. I do. Um, but the Rift Mage is the only one that has like there's like a teeny tiny little healing spell. And that's the only one that has Night Enchanter can revive. It can? Yeah. Go. Yeah, it's the, the center. The focus ability can revive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, That's fair. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into who Anders is. Obviously, he's a companion in Origins Awakening and in Dragon Age 2. He's a mage. He's a romance option. All of the above, right? So Anders is Ferelden. He was born and raised in Ferelden. His father was originally from the Anderfells, um, but he had been in Ferelden since he was a kid too. So Anders is Ferelden, even though his name evokes the Anderfells. And even though he was well-liked in his village, he was sent to the circle when he was 12 years old. Um, and he had set a barn on fire. And this is what kind of prompts him being sent to the circle. The only personal possession he was allowed to keep was a hand-embroidered pillow that his mom made for him. And upon arriving at the circle, Anders is very upset. Understandably so, because he's older. He's 12. That's, I mean... He's already like lived a life by that point. Like Vivian is very young when she goes to the circle. Um, Anders is already like a preteen. So he wouldn't talk at all, not even to tell other apprentices his name. So because of this, they began calling him the Ander because of his heritage. Um, and this eventually became the only name that he would use. Um, and we, we in the lore don't even know what his like original name was. So I um, read this and was a little confused because I don't think you can just tell he's from the Anderfells or his parents were, and he doesn't really have an Anderfells accent. I mean, as far as we know. So I was a little confused by that, but that's fine. Maybe we'll meet uh, some more people from the Anderfells in Dreadwolf or Absolution, one of the two. But anyways, so Anders really hates the circle from the get-go. Um, he always saw it as a prison. And he first attempted escape six months after he got there. So, like, he's still 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. Um, before he gets recaptured, though, he saves the life of Ban Farinley, 
And so he receives like a necklace pendant as a reward. And they ask him like, why, why did you leave? And he says tearfully that he just wanted to go home. And despite his repeated escape attempts, first enchanter Irving always believed that Anders, however reckless, posed no true threat and counseled that he should be treated with kindness, which is interesting to me because as we know, he does pose a a significant threat, Um, but but Irving knows him pre-possession. So he begins all of these escape attempts from the ripe age of 12 and a half. To me, this demonstrates the difficulty of taking an older child to the circle Uh, you know, like there's a pretty huge difference between a toddler and a preteen in terms of being able to adjust to something like that. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Austin's going to make the same point. Um, it's why like Jedi are taking at such a young age, stuff like that. And you see that even today, right? Yeah. It's harder for older children to be moved just even across places you get you get established you get yourself a life and then oh there you go yeah exactly anders has anakin vibes um no comment other than that's accurate (laughs) i do have something else to add i mean this just kind of does make me feel for anders a lot because like the 12-year-old kid just wants to go home. He wants to see his mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this, it, to me, it speaks to the, you know, one of the systematic problems of the circles, right? Why can't you just let them visit, give them visiting time, days, uh, whatever? I mean, I get it. We're in a fantasy world where travel is measured in days, right? But still, you can't let them out for a week. Right. Come or back. Even- even like semesters like why can it not be like a boarding school where they can go home for the holidays like it makes no sense to me or why don't they have visitation to the circles yeah or that yeah like hey this is a uh, parents month like make sure your dorm is all cleaned up <laughs> right <laughs> the Taventer circles are like that true hmm. Taventer has their own issues um but yeah, yeah true yeah. true So moving on a little bit, when Anders Mm -hmm. was an apprentice, he met and befriended an older mage named Carl Thecla. They were inseparable for many years and became lovers. This mage is the mage that is made tranquil during DA2 that Anders has the big reaction to and the Chantry and then you first see justice for the first time. So if you're in a relationship with Anders, he tells a male hawk that he was in a relationship with Carl. Notably, if you are a female hawk in a relationship with Anders, he does not share that information with you, which I think is messed up and implies that Anders thinks hawk, female hawk, is homophobic. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if Anders would think that uh, femhawk would be homophobic as much maybe it could be speaking to his own uh personal um self-hatred or doubt on on being either a bi or being a gay man you know it's like i feel like that's more of an anders issue than than uh his perception of a hawk issue 
Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I also think that it might be a little bit of a thing of perhaps the voice actor for Femme Hawk didn't record those lines. And since the game was rushed, mm. they didn't follow up on they it. didn't follow up and get those lines recorded. That's true. Or it could even be a writing error that they didn't realize and they didn't have time in the development to to go back and catch. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, out of universe, that's totally probably what happened is yeah. uh, design oversight, narrative oversight, something fell through the cracks and oh, that's what went through. Yeah. True. Um. Anyway, so that's a little bit about Anders when he's in the circle. Um, but overall, he commits seven escape attempts. And obviously, he's only successful in the seventh attempt, at least if the Warden Commander in Awakening makes him a Grey Warden. Um, that's just kind of how it goes. Throughout Awakening, Anders really does only care about his personal freedom. Like, he does not care about the overarching problem of the Darkspawn, other than, like, making sure he's alive at the end of it. He's very individualistic. But this changes by two, and he has a very deep passion to help other mages who are oppressed by the Chantry. So in Awakening, Anders is first encountered during that first assault on Vigil's Keep. He's surrounded by a lot of dead Templars and Darkspawn, claiming that he only killed the Darkspawn, uh, which, you know, you can think that's true or not, up to you. Anders can then join you as a companion. Um, he cannot not join the party at that point. So um, if you turn him away, you find him later on the rooftop spying on the Seneschal and the Withered. And so he's like, a, you have to have this companion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the Templars arrive and she wants to arrest Anders. And then the way that you get him out of that is through the rite of conscription and making him a Grey Warden, which this also causes a lot of issues with the Grey Wardens later, but we'll get into that, um, I think, in the second half of the episode. So, and then he does successfully undertake the joining to become the Grey Warden later on. And part of the quest with Anders in Awakening is that Anders asks the warden commander to help destroy his phylactery and um yeah so that's how he kind of like can't be tracked after that and then um we talked about this i think in our vivian episode but if anders is present when when says that the libertarians are going to propose pulling away entirely from the chantry at the upcoming convening of the College of Magi, Anders thinks it's a terrible idea going so far as to refer to the idea as a, quote, recipe for disaster, which is so funny to me. Um, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, yes, that's hilarious. Also, it's interesting that a, that a man who spent his entire circle time trying to get away would say oh yeah breaking away would be terrible Mm. that's a good point i never had thought about it that way i think this dichotomy that we get we can explain away by like justice's interaction with anders but i think from an out of universe perspective i think that david gator is probably writing anders in a way that shows this like mage that wants to be free but doesn't necessarily like view the chantry as this evil thing whereas 
his role in DA2 with a different writer, he's getting to a point where like he is the epitome of pro-mage in the companions. Whereas like Fenris is the epitome of anti-mage. Mm-hmm. Anders holds the pro-mage thing. Yeah, and I also think that like this statement versus his actions in two really illustrate how much of an anarchist he's become. Like he wants to see the destruction of the chantry, not because it's really even like involved in the oppression. I mean, it is involved in the oppression of mages, but like it's not the overarching oppressor in the Kirkwall situation, but he wants this destroyed because he knows that it will lead to the most chaos. And then that will supposedly in his mind lead to the war, which it does. And mages will get the most freedom out of that. Like he's trying to make as big of a statement as he can. And I think this quote shows you how far he's come from two from awakening to two yeah i mean there's no reason a person can't change their mindset on anything it's just with how quick awakening and two come out together and the all the other stuff that happens with his character it's just like okay another design narrative oversight thing Mm -hmm. yeah i just want to say that if i was a mage warden and Anders comes up to me and asks me to destroy his phylactery, I would just be like, oh no, h- hell no, not again. Not again. I'm not doing this. I fell for this once. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> That's fair. That is very fair. But, you know, some mage wardens who just turned Jowan in might feel guilty. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, so the last couple things I want to talk about with Awakening is, first of all, Anders can adopt a cat, and he names it Sir Pounce a lot, um, and it's very, very cute. Um, the Grey Wardens, unfortunately, do not let Anders keep this this kitten. Um, I don't know if we really know what happens. I don't think the Grey Wardens kill it, but... I think, and I said this in the Discord server a few weeks ago, I think that if if it had been anyone else who had who came to the Grey Wardens with a cat, they would have let them keep it. But because it's Anders and because he caused so much controversy, they were like, no, you can't have another thing breaking the rules. Yeah. And he's he's shown as a cat person all the way back during his uh, time in the circle he spent like a year in isolation one time for one of his escape attempts and he befriended another one Mm. um who unfortunately got possessed by a rage demon and had to be put down and i'm just like how much more sadness can we like stuff into anders backstory here that's that's not that's not good the last thing i want to talk about with awakening is justice obviously this plays a huge huge role in the next game Um, Anders does not become an abomination in Awakening. This happens in a short story, which I'll tell us about later, but their conversations are very interesting between Anders and Justice. And um, throughout the game, they have some ambient dialogue and Anders wonders, the first thing they kind of talk about is Anders wonders about the relationship between spirits and demons. Justice kind of has some back and forth. And then later on, Justice wonders why Anders does nothing to help other mages. And I think this is really what spurs 
his character to become this kind of like revolutionary action figure that he is in Dragon Age 2. I think that that's a big moment of growth for him. But that's when we first see those seeds being planted. All right. Do y'all have any thoughts about Awakening or anything else we've talked about before we go into the mid-break? I need to finish Awakening. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you, you do. That's all. Okay. Well, Austin, <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to you for the mid-break. Enchantment? Enchantment! You need me. Ugh. I am yours as always. All right. Well, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things that have to do with the podcast, but not the lore of Dragon Age. And it's this time that I like to thank our patrons and read out our first patrons, which are Lisa M, Genesis, and Derek B. I also want to give a special thank you to our Nug King tier patron, Louis H, who gets mentioned on every episode of the show in the mid-break and at the end. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can find the link in the episode description and you can support us in various tiers to coming on the show once a month to just having ad-free episodes and having early access episodes. You can do that and hang out with us and have a good time and come on the show once a month, which last week we had our patron chat. Psych was there. A lot of fun and you can join us there too. Another way to hang out with us is to join our Discord server, The Cups Podcasting and more. You can hang out with us there. We have a lot of fun talking about a variety of topics regarding our other podcasts and this podcast. Um, so much as to fo- far as would you survive under the cune, which the answer for me is hell no. Um, but you can come and check out <laughs> us there. We're in the episode description. Another great way to support us is to leave reviews and ratings on Apple and Spotify. If you leave a review on Apple with five stars, we'll read it out on a future episode of the show. If you have a review that you want to leave, but you don't listen on Apple, and you want to leave a Spotify rating, you can email us some words and we will read that out on the show. You can email us at dalorecast at gmail.com. Lastly, we do have a Hero Hawk or Herald to share today, and I will let Shelby say that. Okay, so this is from Damien who emailed us this hero, no, this Herald from Dragon Age Inquisition. So this is his human male mage knight enchanter, Kaladin Trevelyan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, let me know. Um, So Kaladin sided with the Templars since despite being a mage, he sees the Templars as a logical choice due to the magical origins of the breach. He also saw it as a chance to soothe mage Templar tensions by seeing the two work alongside each other. He also had Bull save the Charger since he is someone who cares more for his comrades than a questionable political alliance. He made Cole more human, convinced Dorian to forgive his father. Had Cassandra reformed the Seekers, allied with the Wardens, chose for Briala and Selene to rule together because he feels like it's the best case scenario for Orlay going forward. Kaladin also helped the Ancients at the Temple of Mithal, had Morrigan drink from the Well of Sorrows, softened and made Liliana divine since he agrees with the ideals Liliana has for the Chantry. 
her and Cassandra have both changed his opinion on the institution. He knows it may be risky and would rather the circles had remained, but has come to the conclusion that if the circles are as good as he feels they are, mages will create them with their newfound freedom. As well as feeling that seekers are a far better oversight for malicious magic than addicted soldiers leashed to the chantry. He also romanced Cassandra since she helped exemplify to him what a person of faith should be. She helped him come closer to believing in the maker, though what he's seen and experienced at the that the hands of the Chantry has made this difficult. Finally, shocked at the betrayal of his good friend Solus, he will do everything within his power to try and redeem Solus and save him from himself. Thank you so much for sharing your Herald with us. We super appreciate it. And you too can share your Hero Hawk or Herald with us in the Discord or via email. So that is the end of our mid-break and let's get back to it. Well, that was uh, Orlesian. Dareth Shiran. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is so let's talk about the big thing right anders merging with justice like this is the beginning of the end in my opinion most of this information comes from the short story which is titled anders it was written by jennifer hepler who also wrote him in da2 it was originally posted on the bioware social forums which no longer exists but you can find the short story on the dragon age wiki page so I am just going to read a little bit of what I wrote as summary. Um, and I have a couple quotes that I wanted to add. So I will um, let you know when there's a quote. So basically in the story, Anders wakes up remembering the fade, begins to see it as home when he previously had not. He tries to remember his name and says, quote, I am Anders. I am justice. This never used to be so hard. Suddenly it comes back to me, Justice's voice, my voice, speaking through the rotting face of the body he once claimed. It is time. You have shown me an injustice greater than any I have faced. Do you have the courage to accept my aid? I knew what he offered. End quote. So this is a quote where Anders is realizing that he and Justice have now become the same entity that Anders is now possessed and he's in the fade. So the story continues with Anders trying to remember exactly what happened, how he and Justice fused, but then it continues with his remembering and waking up surrounded by a few Grey Wardens, specifically by a Grey Warden named Roland, who used to be a Templar. This Warden was sent to follow Anders and basically make sure he stays in line as we know, he does not stay in line. And Roland saw the joining of Anders and Justice and basically says, like, we we cannot do this. The wardens have decided we, we cannot harbor an abomination. Like, a circle or a mage who has escaped from the circle, ran away multiple times, destroyed his phylactery, that's one level. An abomination is another level, and we, we, can't, we cannot do that. So Roland moves to kill Anders. And I wanted to quote this last part of the story directly. And this is from Anders' perspective. 
And then his sword is level with my chest and I let it come because it's only steel and it cannot hurt me for I am not of mortal men. And when it sinks hilt deep in my flesh with no reaction, that's when he gives up. He turns and runs and from behind, I tear his head off at the neck. No magic, just me, whatever that is now. His blood splashes into my open mouth and it tastes like honeyed wine and the warmth spreads through me. He hated me and he is dead. He feared me and he is dead. He hunted me and he is dead. They will all die. Every Templar, every holy sister who stands in the way of our freedom will die in agony and their deaths will be our fuel. We will have justice. We will have vengeance. End quote. So before we uh, talk about that quote, I have another a couple of questions. Just what do you think about this story? Does this story paint justice and Anders in a new light for you? Does it confirm any suspicions? Just share with the room your thoughts. I go back to Hawk's quote in Inquisition when you ask him about Anders. Hawk, they will say, I don't think there was ever just Anders. Mm. And I think this illustrates the corruption happens a lot sooner than we are led to believe in DA2. And that it's almost from the moment they are joined. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, I would like to know exactly the circumstances that would have led to Anders accepting justice in. Um, but they both were two unknowing parties they neither of them fully understood what was going to happen when that when that did justice has only taken over a corpse there's no extra personality rolling around in there and all anders has ever known is pain and suffering that is a recipe for disaster right right like you think if if anders had known any like real kindness from the circle like would it be different i don't know and also you've got the Grey Wardens. So here's an organization that has accepted Anders into it as, as a member, not as a subject to be controlled or anything. No, you are a Grey Warden. That means you are equal with all of us. And yet here you've got another Grey Warden coming in being, oh, no, you mm-hmm. are beneath me. What else is Anders going to do about that? Right? Right. But also, like, if you compare him to how Logan and Alistair are treated as companions of the hero of Ferelden, like, Anders, I'm surprised that his friendship or whatever, just companionship with the warden commander of Ferelden doesn't protect him more. Mm. Yeah, you would think that would have done something, but... You know what you do when you can pick off the weak members of a of a group. You mm-hmm. find them alone. I don't know where Anders was during the story, you know, or what. You know, how did we get to this moment where Roland has been sent to keep an eye on this rogue mage member? Right. I also think, to Austin's point, he's not a companion of the hero of Ferelden when the hero of Ferelden defeats the Archdemon. It's after. So I think that yeah. um, he's not as going to, he's not going to be as glorified. It's just nature. Um, but for me, when I read this last quote, it, 
confirms my belief. And I've been, I've said this on the podcast forever. Longtime listeners, you will remember that I think the moment that Anders becomes joined with justice is when justice becomes a demon. That's when justice becomes vengeance. Like there was never any justice. It was always vengeance when he merged with Anders. This quote totally confirms that for me. I mean, the whole last part of um, every Templar, every Holy Sister who stands in the way of freedom will die in agony and their deaths will be our fuel. I mean, that's not justice. That is vengeance. And even the last line is we will have vengeance. So to me, like this is not, this is not justice in any way. This is 100% vengeance. Um, So that's what this short story confirmed for me. I know I'm sure there are people who are listening that are going to disagree and that's okay. You can disagree. But to me, I think that's pretty clear. I, I actually would agree with you on that. Like at this moment, they are vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, much like Brock and uh, the Black Symbiote, they are, they are Venom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the short story. Let's move on to Dragon Age 2 for a little bit. This is kind of the main event, I feel. Um, but so when we when we meet Anderson too, he's left the wardens. He lives in Kirkwall. He operates a clinic um, for Ferelden refugees. He is helping people. Um, and Anders, basically the way that he gets involved in the story is that he trades Hawk for the Grey Warden maps um, for Hawk's help in releasing Carl from the circle. Um, unfortunately we know that Carl has already been made tranquil and that it's really a trap whatever and this is how we know that he's possessed by justice Um, and then after this happens Anders joins the party as a full companion so if Hawk takes their sibling and Anders and Varric into the deep roads it has to be that makeup Anders can prevent the tainted sibling from dying he reveals he stole the maps from a gray warden who came to Kirkwall and Anders wanted to know if the warden was looking for him. In reality, the wardens were just, they're just planning their own expedition. Um, and so because of all this, Anders knows their location. And so he can get to them and save the sibling. And that's kind of how that all happens. So after Carl dies, Anders joins the mage underground and helps the mages escape the gallows. He is still healing refugees as well, even though there's less of them. And he's also begun writing his own manifesto. And you can find copies of this throughout Hawk's estate in Hightown. I think Carl's death is the trigger point for like when he starts planning the bomb right like when he starts planning the terrorist attack the destruction like he is he invent he and vengeance justice are like a demon abomination from the time they join together but carl's death is what sparks this want to destroy everything and i think that makes total sense um because not only is it his former lover and friend that's made tranquil it's also a trap um and they're trying to like get him so there's a bunch of layers to that 
Um, but in Act Two, Anders admits to Hogg that he's losing control over justice. And to me, again, this signifies that justice no longer exists at all and that it's fully vengeance at this point. But throughout the rest of the game, there are several instances where Anders continues to lose control and it's almost progressive. I think it happens more in the later acts than it does in act one. So some of these are with Sir Ulrich, the Templar, when you go into the Fade with Fainreal, and I think there's a couple more too. Um, and then lastly, during act three, Anders claims that Meredith has essentially eliminated the mage underground entirely and that he is now preparing for, quote unquote, the worst. And then he confides in Hawk that he is seeking a way to separate him and Justice and asks for Hawk's help. In reality, he's already planning and preparing to build the bomb that will drop on the Chantry and he ropes Hawk into this slyly. So we'll talk about the effects of the bomb and the impact on Thetis after but hot or but psych i almost called you hawk what the hell psych <laughs> um, brought a few quotes and um ties into like our world so i'm gonna turn it over to him all right uh also just a quick point i never knew that about the sibling because i've always played a mage hawk so i always have carver and well i leave carver behind yeah, on everything that's so fair. that's interesting to know in case you ever do want to save him you can <laughs> <laughs> hot yeah. take this isn't uh -huh. i think that bethany belongs with the wardens but carver needs to go with the templars yeah i i, I second that, that. I, I don't see that as a hot take at all right but i just think that for Carver, I hate that he wants to join the Templars, but his whole shtick is that he's overshadowed by Hawk and he doesn't feel like he has a purpose or a place in this family that's so obsessed with magic. And so he joins the Templars and finds that purpose. I don't think it would be the same with the Wardens, especially outside of a blight. Um and then Beth, I, Bethany, like the circle is a death sentence for a mage like Bethany, this happy go lucky mage who doesn't want to hurt anybody, but like doesn't view her magic as inherently evil. Whereas she joins the wardens and it's, I think the wardens have a much healthier relationship with magic and they encourage Bethany to use her magic and use it to her fullest because they need it to stop the blight. I see that. Oh yeah. Yep. I agree. All right. So my three quotes. Men make their own history, but they do not make it as they please. They do not make it under self-selecting circumstances, but under circumstances existing already, given and transmitted from the past. This is from Karl Marx's The 18th Brumaire of Louis Bonaparte. I feel like that saying indicates that we, while we're free to make our choices as, as we would like to, the reality and time that we are in dictates what options are available to us, right? Because here we are, we're 21st century America. Even if you threw us halfway around the world, my options are now completely different even being in the 21st century. So for Anders, right? Anders inherits a world already at war with itself. He just 
kind of brings it out of the periphery. Like he brings it out of the background of, oh yeah, I the, there's mages out there and they Templars and mages. Like that's just something that goes on behind the scenes. Everyone knows about it to some degree, but they don't, it doesn't affect them overall. And Anders' choices is what kind of reshapes the world on that. What kind of man would Anders have been in another time, in another place, right? Uh, would someone else have played the part of Anders in Kirkwall? Um, and what would the Mage Templar War look like without Kirkwall's Chantry going up? Right, I thought those would be like interesting topics to discuss if you wanted to. Yeah, I I I agree. I think um, I've wondered about your last question. What would the war look like without Kirkwall? I wondered about that a lot because in Asunder, people are going to roast me because I always bring up Asunder. I haven't in a long time, but whatever. Um, in Asunder, you know, they are already trying to break away. So like, it's definitely not just Anders that starts the war. Um, so I do still think there would be a war, first of all. But I, mm. I think I think that they would have much more of a case if Anders hadn't have done what he did. I think that more people would side with the mages than what actually happens. Well, and like to add to that, without Kirkwall, does the circle in Ravain even get annulled? I don't know the answer to that. I thought you were going to ask, does, uh, is, is Lord Seeker Lambert going to be as intense um, as he is in Asunder? And my answer is yes, because he is um, my mortal enemy. And also <laughs> I think he's just kind of an intense person. So I think he would still like want to do all that. But also Lord Seeker Lambert is coming off of his time in Tevinter. And so he sees the time of Tevinter and even making friends with the Black Divine and watching this Black Divine succumb to blood magic. And I think that really colors how he reacts in that even a mage he thought was his friend still succumbed to this temptation. And so for him, that nothing matters. That's fair. Those are all really great points. I, I like. I think you're right, Shelby, in that without Kirkwall's Chantry, uh, without uh, without that event, more people like. I feel like characters like Vivian, who had were in DAI, are adamantly against breaking away. Probably would have had either a smaller pool of loyalist mages, or even she would have joined in on breaking away because. The events of Asunder aren't necessarily tied to Kirkwall's Chantry. That's the, you know, that's the found, you know, finding out about tranquility and all that. Mm -hmm. And with those secrets now out in the open, yeah, the, the vote, I think, still goes forward and everything. But it's less, I think, less bloody. Yeah. I think also without... We have to remember that there are assassination attempts on Divine Justinia right before the vote to to secede from the Chantry. And that colors mm. that colors a lot of Vivian's take on it, of her just being like, we're basically condoning this violence by breaking away right now. And but I think 
that without Kirkwall, I think without Kirkwall, there's not as much of a reaction in Ravain to their circle getting annulled. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to be that drastic. And so I think it's going to be more, you will see more of the power-hungry Templars in this situation without Kirkwall. And I think that the mages will have more Chantry support Mm. than they do. Mm. Yeah. Especially with Lord Seeker Lambert dying and basically, I mean, you have Lord Seeker Lucius, but let's be real. By the events of Asunder, Cassandra's really like the face of the Seekers right now. So. Yeah. True. And she's not going to stand for that Templar nonsense. (laughs) No, no, she doesn't. Yeah. So my next one is something uh, maybe people will recognize a little more. Um, so here we go. Hath not a Jew eyes, hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? If we like you in the rest, we will resemble you in that. If a Jew wrong a Christian, what is his humility? Revenge. If a Christian wrong a Jew, what should his sufferance be by Christian example? Why, revenge. The villainy you teach me, I will execute, and it shall go hard, but I will be, I will better the instruction. That's Shylock, Merchant of Venice, and Act 3, Scene 1. Swap Jew for Mage and Christian for Templar, and that's an easy one-to-one, right? Um, I feel like this is pretty true, not necessarily of all mages, because we've got all different circles and they have different relationships with their Templars, but it's especially true for Anders. I would say for the Ferelden circles, Kirkwall, and a couple others, and like the Orlay area like the relationship between mages and templars is a simmering hostility at that point mm-hmm. and he's taught over and over how much everyone has feared him because he's a mage you know he's he's stripped of his home his name his past and he's filled with as much anger and fear that you can stuff into one person <laughs> like as the worst case scenario of someone to be possessed, this is Anders. Uh, and and we see this trope over and over again where the victim becomes the perpetrator. Because that's all they know. And, you know, Anders makes good on that last part. The, uh, the villainy you teach me, I will execute and it shall go hard, but I will better the instruction. Mm. I think like the comparison that's made from that Merchant of Venice quote is spot on. I mean, and you can even tell that from in lore, like the comparison to the suffering of Jews, especially in Europe, um, to the mages. I mean, it's called the tranquil solution. Like you don't get more like on the nose mm-hmm. an allegory than that. I think that's a pretty apt analogy for mages. Um And I think that you're absolutely right. And I think we talked about this a little bit on our, either our Chantry episode or our Circle episode in that like circles 
are not necessarily a bad idea, but they're terrible in execution and downright oppressive in execution. And I think that there there has to be some middle ground between the Tevinter look of like, let's just do ma- magic, whatever we want, and the Chantry's, the extreme Templar view of you're evil and must be destroyed. Um, I think there's a middle ground in there. And like, if circles could be this nurturing place, this school where mages are taught the responsibility of magic, could that not be a better step forward would we even have an anders at that point if anders is taught that like hey like your magic can get away from you so you have to be responsible for it but you're not evil yourself Mm. even vivian's take of like fire is useful but don't ever forget that it can burn you like that kind of aspect to magic would anders Mm -hmm. even be even remotely where he is if the Chantry uh, took more care for mages rather than lock them away in a tower. And I do think that's kind of where Irving is. And I think had Anders stayed in the Ferelden Chant in the Ferelden Circle, I think Irving would have tried to encourage that in him. And that's why Irving is not like, oh, he's just a kid who wants to go home. Like he just needs to be taught and adjust. Like he'll be okay. Whereas the wardens and everyone else see him rebel mage, bad, execute him. I yeah, I just I agree with everything you've said, Austin. And I um the the only addition I have to add is really like, you know, whether you're talking to a child or a dog or a pet or whatever, it doesn't matter, or even just an adult, like if you tell them over and over, like you're the scum of the earth you're horrible, everyone should fear you, well, eventually they're going to live up to those expectations. And I think that that's something that Anders has definitely fallen prey to, fallen victim to. Yeah, I I really could tangent off of the kind of person Anders would be if he, basically if he'd been given to uh, the Xavier School for higher learning, right? For right. gifted youngsters versus, heck, that's not even the Brotherhood. Uh, it's basically a apocalypse prison cell but anyway (laughs) true so my speaking of comics this is my last one the only verdict is vengeance a vendetta held as a votive not in vain for the value and veracity of such shall one vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous i have been practicing that for a month so (laughs) i'm very impressed yeah, thank you. Um, that is V from V for Vendetta. And I think this quote is, I think that sums up what Anders would like to think that he is. But the reality is that he is no V. He is a, he's a different kind of V. He's a McVeigh. While our character V blows up uh, empty monuments to a fascist regime, Anders acts up one of the deadliest acts of t- domestic terrorism in Thetis. And he blows up a church full of people and kids. Um, this is a point in the game where I really wish the devs had allowed more player engagement. Um, let 
Hawk choose to save the people or not, you know, give that choice to the players rather than be railroaded it in. Mm. Um, and it's similar to uh, Zaid's loyalty mission. You know, you go to the refinery, he starts blowing mm. it up and it's like, no, we're going to save these people. You're the one who put them here or let them all burn. It could have, I'm not going to say it's going to, could have been that easy, but something similar could have been made. It could it could have just ended with the church still going up, but Hawk has to save the people kind of regardless. Like it's a whole rescue mission timed save as many or, you know, save 20 people in two minutes or whatever. Right. And I think that would have made Anders far more pal- palatable to us, the players. Mm. I think at least. I agree with that. And I think this point is the point that, um, people who are fans or um, support Anders, this is this is the point that they argue. Like you, you can't argue with any of the justice stuff because it's just in the game. But um, people who defend Anders tend to say like the church is mostly empty. Like the chantry is not full of people and and children and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And so that's kind of their argument about like how, okay, it could have been way worse. I personally disagree with that take because even if that statement is true, you know, the bomb is still going to affect all of the people that live near the Chantry, which we know there are a lot of people who do just by walking around that neighborhood. Um, But I think that's where a lot of people are coming from, um, at least people who support or people who want more to defend Anders. And I will say like, I definitely think Anders has a point, but um, this is my biggest issue with him that so many people who are innocent have to die. Right. And let's, let's, let's take the line of thinking that it's only Elfina and maybe a couple of attendants in the Chantry. That's nothing to say of, the numerous mages that are then put to death by the Templars or succumb to possession and abominations themselves within the aftermath of the Chantry blowing up. That's true too. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that blood to me is on Anders' hands. Um, He psychs that out and like, I know he's trying to prove a point, but I go back to this in that Bioware, I wish they hadn't done this because the sides of the argument, you have one side, you have Anders' side of the argument. He's corrupted by a spirit and is an abomination. And then you have Meredith on the other side who is also corrupted by the Red Lyrium idol. Mm -hmm. Both of their arguments no longer have any weight. This actual debate that exists statist is now wrapped up into both of its proponents are now insane yeah yeah and and speaking of meredith really like like even though she and orsino leave the decision to kill anders to hawk uh, hawk is not the law they are just a celebrity right like Mm -hmm. they are just the champion of kirkwall right at this moment yes okay so and this is hilarious i didn't really realize i put this in here but there is no justice in murder you can't right a wrong with another wrong and so yeah um and that's 
I'm quoting Tyrell from Diablo on that. But anyway, uh, like just because the law is too corrupt or insipid or lazy to do its job doesn't mean allowing Hawk to decide Anders' fate is any better. I wish there was a better way to bring Anders to justice. Is basically mm-hmm. kind of where I'm going with that. As rather than just either outright killing him or giving him his pass, yeah. like. Yeah, I agree. Um, to me, it's especially difficult for a hawk who has romanced Alistair. I mean, if we, we talk about... You mean Anders? Did I say Alistair? You did. Yeah, yes. Anders. Um, <laughs> to me, like, we talk about how everyone in Thetis needs therapy, right? Well, you know, in therapy, a lot of the things we talk about are boundaries. Mm. What kind of boundaries is it to have a person who's romancing someone be the one to kill the person i mean that's just a recipe for trauma it's really messed up so i recently did this (laughs) because i thought it would be fun to romance anders and then kill him (laughs) i am nervous about this conversation i no i just think it's interesting because he has a specialized dialogue for it oh yeah um he says i'm glad it's you and at least i could be happy for a while i could have been happy for a while i don't like that um and i just think like to kind of go back to you made an x-men analogy earlier Mm -hmm. It's like Anders very much kind of fills the Magneto role. Uh, not one for one, but like that. Yeah. And Meredith is very much more on the like human government side role. There is yeah, no Charles Xavier in this analogy. Like there is no one that's like arguing for coexistence. I mean, you could argue that Hawk's doing that, but Hawk's just trying to make money and live his peaceful <laughs> life. Like that's that's literally Hawk's entire motivation. Like, no, there's no right. Charles Xavier. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thetis could definitely have benefited from a Charles Xavier um, character. But you're right. Uh, Anders is much more... I'd say like Grant Morrison, Magneto. Um, I'm going to do terroristic uh I things here because the story demands it. Not so much the um charming cult leader that most of comic book lore is filled with. Right. I'm just gonna do evil things to be evil. Right. And if I remember, I'm not great, but like Magneto is very much uh I'm gonna do terrorist things and people might get hurt. But I'm not going to do that with like some kind of needless without message there. It's not like Magneto's terrorism is not without a purpose or a design behind it. Typically. Yeah, typically. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought of that. Like there's no Charles Xavier in this story. Yeah, because like even the character you would think should be kind of playing it, which I guess would have been Orsino. I mean, Orsino's also blood crazed. So you, know, he, you got three crazy people coming up with an argument here. I will say it here for the world. I hate Orsino more than I hate Anders. So people can know. Me oh. too. I was way more mad at him than I was at Anders by the end of um, Dragon Age 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel like his 
basically his involvement in Act 3 literally comes out of left field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did have a point on Anders and racism, because, you know, I, I feel like I'm in the pro-Anders camp, but this needs to be kind of addressed. Mm-hmm. And I tried to find, I found so many articles, I found no less than like three of them about how awful Anders is to the elves. And it, and several YouTube scenes. Uh, and I, I think it's safe to say that Anders is indefensible in these actions. These, these are repugnant actions. He is so blinded by his calling that no one else can possibly understand what he's going through and is completely ignorant to anyone else's misery and pain and life. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when he tells Meryl that no one is locking up elves, he's completely ignoring the alienages are ghettos. And while the origins of the word ghetto are innocuous, the common parlance gained traction during World War II, where the Nazis would first send Jews in Poland. They sent them to ghettos. Yeah. And not only that, he also ignores, like, whole quest lines that Hawk does. Like, there are whole quests about how elves are being murdered in Kirkwall mm. and like is okay okay he just ignores it he's also ignoring the thousands of years history of Thetis yeah. like just in general true of uh, and that true. that you kind of yeah. you'll probably mention this but his relationship with Fenris is just disgusting yeah Should I give actually you a I kinda... soapbox Austin yes <laughs> Um, I like I had in my research, I was trying to find if it was specifically Anders or Anders Fenris that Anders had a problem with or elves as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's elves as a whole, because if it was just Fenris, and this is, this is a stupid, tangential argument. If it was just Fenris, I would have said that, well, Anders is probably scared of the mage hunter aspect of Fenris. Um there's also that justice aspect within Anders that says, oh, Fenris is quote, quote, property. Therefore, he must be returned. Mm. So, you know, that's it's stretching. It's reaching. It's not a great argument. But if it was just Fenris, I would have said that is a character interaction. But no, Anders is just racist against elves. Right. Right. And I also think... You know, he's a person in Awakening who idolizes Deventer. I think it makes sense for a, a mage human who idolizes Deventer to not care for elves. I mean, I think that tracks. But also, I also think that, I don't want to say that it starts with Fenris, but I think that Fenris kind of like maybe makes it more prevalent or more obvious even um, of his dislike of elves or even like not care for elves because we have the whole scene in which if you confront Daenerys, Fenris's former master, Anders, if Hawk gives Fenris back to Daenerys, Anders gets like 10 or even 20, I can't remember the exact number of um like friendship points like he approves of you returning Fenris back into slavery um which I think is another point to show 
okay, he's totally consumed by vengeance. But another Mm -hmm. thing I wanted to add to this conversation is that if it really was still justice and not vengeance, you would think that Anders and justice would have empathy for Mm -hmm. the plight of the elves and would want to work for them to receive justice. Yes, absolutely. Like it baffles me that this is the way they wanted to play him. Like he's going to be the rah, rah pro mage movement, but he's also going to be the anti elf movement. Yeah. And it's, it bothers me that when sometimes when develop developers are coming up with a character, you know, they think, well, what, what flaw, what other flaw can we put into a character? Let's make them racist and just <laughs> slap that in there. Yeah. It makes that really hard to like that character because unless they grow from it, like Ashley has the good grace to do, you you just you're stuck with, well, you're useful in battle, but you hate elves, man. Yeah. I find Anders' racism so much more like insidious than like even like Dorian's own prejudice or Solus's prejudice or even Vivian's or Sarah's own internalized, you know, elf hatred. Mm-hmm. Because, like, at least for some level, like, those characters can move past that. But there is no, like, point. Anders is always looking at Meryl and saying, oh, you're just stupid and don't know what you're doing with this magic. How dare you use blood magic? And with Fenris, he's like, well, why don't you support us? We're enslaved too. And Fenris Fenris actually like does, he's not kind about it, but he does kind of entertain the notion. He's like, we're not the same. You know that. Like our plight is different than yours. 100%. Yep. I think in fact, Fenris or at one point says to Anders, it's like, you have power and we do not. All right. I got, I guess my last my last point for for anything tonight um, is I wanted to talk about Vivian's quote about the Mage Templar War in regards to Anders specifically. Uh, Kirkwall gave them the world a reason to remember its fear of magic. A mage killed hundreds with the snap of their fingers. Across Thetis, a new tangible fear of magic grew. And I feel like I feel like this quote falls into the same trap Vivian says about the rebel mages that they fell into that it's all about them but really thetis was just a powder keg looking for a spark to blow it all up and uh they lived in fear of magic every day they you never knew if you're going to the you know the merchants in town or is your son going to light the barn on fire today like What's going to happen when a six-year-old has a tantrum? Are they going to cry or are, you know, your dishes going to go flying across the room? I would say that the hate and fear of mages that the people of Thetis have because the Chantry said so. And that's, so that's what they do. They say, oh, the Chantry says I should be afraid of this thing so I am afraid of this thing and they and they just live with that every day I wouldn't say that 
all this did was bring it to the forefront rather than make it suddenly about the Mage Templar War. I definitely see that. But I think, I don't know, I just go back to the fact, I don't think people have to be told that they should be afraid of mages. I think people just are afraid of mages because they do have inherent power. Like they just do. Um, They can kill someone far easily, far more easily than a regular person could. So I think that people just automatically fear mages. And I do think that over the centuries they have been conditioned to fear mages more than they should and that the chantry involved has told people and told mages like you're something to be feared like you are dangerous you are not good and so i think that Mm -hmm. that is more what creates that environment more than just people are being told to fear them um and so because of that i i do understand where vivian is coming from um because you can, I think that people in Thetis, like they can live alongside a mage who does nothing, who mm-hmm. sells them their potions and operates their shop or whatever. And they mm-hmm. get into that complacency of their lives. And they're like, oh, this is just my normal life. And then something comes along that reminds them like, oh my God, you're a mage. You could kill me. Right. So I, I understand where she's coming from in that quote. Um, but I also think at the end of the day, I think both things can be true. I think that mm-hmm. Kirkwall can be a reason to remember the fear of magic, like Vivian says. But I also think that it was just a powder keg waiting to explode. And a lot of people who were not impacted by magic ignored that. Mm. I think that also this. Thetis's like position before the Kirkwall incident reminds me very much of a pre-World War One Europe. Um mm-hmm. and that, you know, we all point to the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand as the like tipping point of World War One. But even if he had not been assassinated, those powers would have found another reason to go to war with each other. There would have been another reason to ignite the world into World War One, And I think that that's the same point. I do think the Mage Templar War is unavoidable, but I think that whether or not the Kirkwall incident happens, how that actually plays out is very, very different. Um, I think that without the Kirkwall incident, like I said earlier, I think you might garner a little more Chantry support for the mages. I think that perhaps Justinia would have acted sooner than she does. And I think it would have been very different. Because, I mean, I do feel for Justinia in a lot of ways, because I'm sure there is a lot of pressure on her that there were a lot of clerics who were pushing her to exalted to call an exalted march on the free marches. And mm. I think without Kirk Wall and without the circle being abolished or annulled in Ravain, she could act in more of the ways that she would have wanted to. Yeah, I get that too. Hey. Yep. So let's get into the big kaboom, right? In the end, regardless of what choices you make, doesn't matter. Anders blows up the Chantry. This kills Grand Cleric Elthina and everyone who's inside the Chantry. And according to Mary Kirby, it rains deadly debris on half of Kirkwall. And she is a writer at Bioware. So I take her opinion as fact. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like we talked about earlier, both Meredith and Orsino leave his fate up to the champion, which I, when I was playing this for the first time, I did not understand. I did not think that Meredith, like, I, I didn't think that she would be willing to leave that decision up to someone else. Mm. I just don't think it tracks with her person and her character. Yeah, no. Um, but Hawk can kill Anders by stabbing him in the back. Hawk can spare Anders. Those are the kind of two options. Um, so let's talk about the impact on Thetis for a little bit. So Anders' destruction on the Chantry has a lot of things that occur after it. And we've kind of been talking about all of those things throughout this episode. But to be explicit in it, Anders' destruction of the Chantry is like the direct instigator of the Mage Templar War that we see the effects of and actually happening in Inquisition. And then throughout the book Asunder, we learn that the circle in Daresmund in Ravain, like Austin mentioned earlier, has been annulled in response to Kirkwall. Therefore, the mages in Asunder are desperate to find a solution to their problems, basically. So they act in desperation because of, of Kirkwall, um, but then they do their actions separate from him. So we all know these things um, impact the Mage Templar War as well. So to close us out, before we talk about why we dislike or why we like Anders, I have a few quotes that I can read out. And if you have any thoughts about any of the quotes afterwards, you can share them or we can just talk about why we love or hate him. So the first quote is, the problem is that mages are tolerated. Barely. It's like you need permission to be alive. The second quote is, since when is justice happy? Justice is righteous. Justice is hard. The third quote is, the oppression of mages stems from the fears of men, not the will of the maker. And then the next one is, it's the maker who creates mages. The chantry was built by men and it can be brought down by them. And then finally, I will not stand by and watch you treat all mages like criminals while those who would lead us bow to their Templar jailers. So those are just a few quotes from Anders. And this represents quotes from all three acts of the game. Um, so it kind of shows you his opinions are not just an act three kind of thing. Um, I just want to talk about the oppression of mages stems from the fears of men and not the will of the maker. Yes, a hundred percent. Like that's the reality that's going there. I also want to add to that. I believe that Andro if Andraste came back to Thetis, I believe that she would burn down the Templars for what they're doing. And I also believe she would kill Anders. I do not disagree with that. I I absolutely think that. And I think that Anders falls so much into the trap of not remembering that he has the power and that mages have the power to not only destroy the world, but even just ensnare and bend the world to its will. He has the power to take away everyday people's freedoms. Yeah. And he forgets that and thinks that it's not a big deal. That's a little bit to why I don't like him, but it kind of, it's icky to me. I agree. Um, I think his quote about 
It's the maker who creates mages. The Chantry was built by men and it can be brought down by men. I mean, that's just foreshadowing of what happens later. And it tells, I don't remember exactly what act he says this in, but it absolutely tells you like, okay, Anders is going to try to be the man who brings down the Chantry. I, I, I do get, you know, there is an air of superiority with Anders, especially in two. I don't know. I feel like he doesn't he doesn't forget that he has that power because he's in he's in the poor section of Kirkwall with a you know free clinic, basically. So he's out there still also trying to help people mm-hmm. and utilizing his gift to do so. So I, I, I he he might forget his own privilege sometimes, I'd say, but I don't know if he's so arrogant as to completely believe he's above certain stuff yeah that's fair so we always end our character deep dives by talking about why we love or hate this character i i feel like we usually let our guests go first so psych if you want to go first you can sure i still i still root for anders at the end of the day right uh he is complicated he's compelling and he's divisive which are hallmarks of a great character i mean here we are decade later right still talking about him (laughs) though his story isn't over if you let him live and he needs to be brought to a proper justice in dreadwolf and i don't mean off screen we dealt with that quietly like the player needs to be involved from beginning to end whatever that may be but i do still love anders I think that's a really interesting take. Um, I hadn't really even considered that he could be in Dreadwolf. Um, if if he's alive, he absolutely can be. Um, I could absolutely, though, see Bioware using a comic or a novel or something like that to, to resolve the situation, though, rather than a game. Yeah. Ooh, we could... What if it's Fenris? That takes down Anders. That takes down Anders. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no one likes that. Um, but <laughs> I'm okay with that happening. My my whole issue with Anders, because I'm pretty well known for my dislike of Anders at this point in my internet presence. But <laughs> I think that my issues with Anders really 100% stem from his treatment of friend Fenris. Um, that's really kind of where it goes. And I just, I come back to my own personal, I let my own personal beliefs kind of get in there. But if you are so committed to justice for your cause that you cannot see the oppression of other peoples around you or see the suffering of other peoples around you and want to work with them, you're not really arguing for justice. Mm-hmm. And so my frustration, I am a supporter of Anders' cause. I am not a supporter of the way in which Anders wants to enact his cause. And I just think that there's an arrogance in Anders that thinks that I am the one who has to do this. And I think part of that is the fact that he has the spirit of justice embodying his body. Mm-hmm. When there are actual people in the world who are fighting for a better society, I think even in a more constructive way, 
albeit, you know, what Dorian does after Inquisition or even what Wynn is doing in Asunder and post Dragon Age Origins, even mm-hmm. to an extent, Vivian in a lot of ways, though, I again get frustrated with Vivian. But I definitely see the love for Anders and the wanting to root for Anders. And even I, when I first played through, like I wanted Anders to succeed. And I think that it's the lying that gets to me too about that. Like with, if we compare it, we compared it to Zaid's loyalty mission earlier, but like Zaid is never, you know, dishonest about his intentions for what he wants to do in this loyalty mission. He doesn't tell you the whole truth, though. Yeah. No, but who in Mass Effect tells you the whole truth? That's Uh, fair. That's fair. Um, My opinion on Anders, I was really upset with him. Agree with you, Austin, because of the lying. Like, I was so down to help him get, like, unbound from justice. Because that's kind of how he presents the whole bomb situation. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I need all these ingredients so I can find a way. I'm like, I'm down for that. I want you to have a good life. I want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. Like, go get healing somehow, right? And Mm -hmm. come to find out it's all a lie. And he used me to help him be a terrorist. And after that, I was like, absolutely not. I don't trust anyone anymore. Um, So I agree with you, Psych, that I did root for him. Like, I wanted him to be better than he was. Um, And I think that the complexity and the divisiveness of him as a character is, as you have said, what makes him a compelling character it's what makes him a good character and not necessarily good and like he was right but good in that this is interesting because mm-hmm. at the end of the day if we had characters who were just good or just evil the story would not compel us to continue talking about it a decade later yeah absolutely that's fair you're just mad <laughs> anders <laughs> yeah I probably will never get over it. And now it's my internet personality. Yeah, so so you have to keep it up. (laughs) Do we have any other final thoughts about Anders? He's not all bad. Wow. Mark it down. (laughs) Mark it down. This was the day Austin admitted he's not totally bad. (laughs) He ranks, you know what? He's not in my top 10 of most hated characters, but he's probably like 11 or 12. (laughs) <laughs> okay. I, I can respect that i get it i get it man i would really like to know who your top 10 are but we can talk about that later i'll post it in the discord <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right um well if we don't have anything else austin you can wrap us up all right well psych thank you for being here do you want to plug where people can find you absolutely all right so you can find me on the robots radio discord uh psych 88 i am uh part of the MCU lore cast where we discuss the Marvel movies and their comic book origins. That is my end of it, at least. And I'm also on the Mass Effect Blue Shift, a tabletop RPG podcast where I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo and solve crime on the Citadel in hilarious ways as possible. And yeah, that's it for me. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and a special thank you to Lewis H our Nug Tier King patron who gets shouted out at the end of every episode and thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast we will see you next week
Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Hello, Vault Dwellers. Join me, Jaxus, Sassy Lady Rover, Eric, and the creator, Maverick, as we take topics from the Fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it using at FalloutRTV. You can send us an email using FalloutRTV at gmail.com. Join us. The conversation has already started.